Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, let's do this. Okay. Oh, let's no. shut it. Let's shut everything down. There's nothing that's going to match that for the rest of the show. You know, you've been starting, you've been saying that a lot lately. Yeah, I'm starting to think you really want to shut down the show. No, no it's just that we're you're so funny right before the show. You know, just you could a, you could be recording all this, and all of a sudden we just make the sound of closing books. All right, guys, shut her down. Shut right. Everybody walk away from the mics. <laughs> Close on the books, you know. All right, we're, we're then close play, the then play your, in, your incoming music, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, recording in three, two. Hi, I'm Andrew Torres of Opening Arguments Podcast, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud of being an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an <laughs> Coming at you from the secret lair Abbotsford, BC This is Left of the Valley My name is Kevin and I'm so ugly That when I pressed my face against the window I was arrested for mooning <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team that recommends you laugh at your problems Because everybody else does She saw a woman wearing a sweatshirt with gas on it And she replied, implants? Nancy <laughs> I just, I just. <laughs> he deduced that crowded elevators smell differently to midgets. Scott. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> and she likes to borrow money from pessimists because they don't expect it back. Annette. <laughs> borrow money from pessimists. They don't expect it back, right? See, I, I only borrow from optimists. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. And we got a guest in the studio. Oh, no, she's too shy to say anything, but hi, Simona. It's okay, we're not putting you on the spot. Don't worry about it. Just say hi. Hi. There we go. Good, we've got an audience. That's what makes it. Yeah, she's yeah. the one listener. Yeah, yeah. We know we have at least one listener. She's been listening to the show for a while now, and now she's here. Brave girl. Guys, welcome back. I hope you had a great week. Today we're going to have an interesting show. We're going to be talking about the uh, religion getting uh, implicated in the school district, and especially in the Alberta and B.C. Uh, government, and we'll be talking to Luke Ferrin a bit later on. But for now, let's do a bit of chit-chat. We've got lots of things to cover, as usual. Did you guys hear, you know the, car, the the game Cards Against Humanity? Yes, played it. Awesome. It's an awesome game. Did you guys hear that the, uh, the people behind Cards Against Humanity decided to buy land on the U.S.-Mexico border to prevent Donald Trump from building that wall? 
Yeah, no, it's true. I'm hoping that's a really brilliant move. It's a brilliant move. Yeah. It's an absolute brilliant move. That's kind of anything that thwarts Trump, you know, even momentarily, is a is a it's a good move. One of his nuclear submarine commanders turned around and said, "Yeah, if I got the order, I don't think I'd carry it out. I'd I'd be challenging it." Yeah. (laughs) Can't really blame him. Did you guys also uh, hear that Australia decided to vote yes to support the LGBT marriage? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was quite impressed with that. 61% in, yeah. uh, in favor. Um, awesome. Uh, uh, the, uh, the opponents spent apparently over $1 million in ads. 79.5% took part, uh, the population took part in the survey because it wasn't like a, it was a survey, kind of like a plebiscite. And um, according to the prime minister, this should be legal now by Christmas. Oh, terrific! Yeah, they they said they're, le- they're it's legally binding. They're going to go ahead with it. I think it's a plan. yeah, it's a global it's a global movement at, at this point. Uh, I mean, just, I'm sure there'll just be so some cool countries. to see so many people come out en masse. They said they had over eighty percent turnout yeah. for the for the vote. Yeah, and were they yeah. were they mostly the younger the younger under forty? Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And did you guys know that Germany now ha- officially has a third gender? Oh really? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I read that in the news, so it's all it's happening all over. You know, you ever wondered? You know, uh, this whole gender thing. Uh, I, th- I think the, the big question is: if you go on Star Trek, in the Star Trek universe, you ever think on the spaceship they have like men, women, and other? For a bathroom? <laughs> uh, I, I think they grew up past that. I think they just have the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like your house. Yeah, Imagine if exactly. we had to do our houses the way we, we yeah. think out in public. Well, no, no. You need a female washroom and a male washroom and a... Well, we'll just give them a pot to piss in. That's, you know, because... Yeah. Can you imagine if you had to do that in a house? Yeah, exactly. Like, come on, guys. Grow up. Uh, did you guys hear that they, apparently uh, Mattel has released uh, a Barbie with a hijab? Say what? Yeah, I saw that. It's the first hijab Barbie, and it's, it's from a line of what they call sheroes. You know, like heroes, oh, but with a she. brother. Yeah. Uh, there's apparently 10 dolls, and they're based on women that have inspired courage. Uh, this one is modeled on, uh, uh, I'm going to massacre this, Hibtihaj Muhammad, and she's a fencing champ. Uh, she's uh, she's also uh, an American Olympic uh, medal uh, winner, and uh, and apparently this is uh, the the Barbie doll is based on her, which is which is great That's because cool. girls, <clears throat> well, boys too. Speaking of gender, children need um, to play with toys that look like them. If they're if they're dealing with uh, with an astronaut or whatever it is, the the doll should look like them. Yeah, the the, the to be part of the Yashiro line, the woman has has to have someone who broke a boundary, if you wish, yeah. inspired girls, and she also has to have played with Barbie dolls as well. Right. That's how you make oh, the cut wow. to be a, a shiro. That's right. Let me add to that. You should have diversity dolls where it may not look like you, but you get used to dealing exactly. with other other people at a very young age, and uh, it becomes totally you know part of your part of your life, and it's normal. And there's uh, none of us do really know though if she comes with a complete clitoris or this one's been cut off. <laughs> oh. 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 No, Barbie, Barbie dolls don't have a clitoris. Well, thank you for saying that. No, I, I so saying they've no, all been cut off. Seriously, I played with Barbie dolls for a very short time, and I don't remember there being 
an anatomically correct no. vagina on them. And I don't think they that... Were, that so, the, so they were the third gender. <laughs> well, no, because well, male male dolls were not anatomically correct yeah, either. Exactly. So, so the third gender. Nancy used to undress Ken with her teeth. G.I. Joe. Did you guys know that we had a missed opportunity here? Did you guys know that the Flat Earthers just had a conference? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? This happened November 9th and November 10th. There was an actual conference of Flat Earthers. Seriously. I wonder if any of the Canadian flat earthers. What we there is a very active flat Earth group, and they're online, but they never respond. I try to get them to answer, and I'm very polite, but they never respond to me. But they're around. Yeah, the, apparently I, the I conference happened in Raleigh, in uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Apparently, 400 people attended. The tickets went on sale for about uh, uh, 109 dollars to 249 dollars for the conference and um, there were questions like apparently Elon Musk is building a the SpaceX spaceship and will it hit the dome if it flies up there <laughs> because they think there's a dome over the earth <laughs> those were the questions asked at the conference I, I would love to be able to to infiltrate the flat earth society but I'm just I'm not sure my bullshit meter could take it <laughs> I'd probably like self implode or something <laughs> Uh, in other news, did you guys hear that the uh, Keystone Pipeline from the company TransCanada shut down after a spill? Surprise! No, surprise! Surprise! You knew. Yeah. knew that would happen, right? 500,000, uh, 500, sorry, 5,000 barrel leak in uh, Amherst, South Dakota. And in Nebraska now apparently is due to decide on if they're expanding that system or not. What, so. the leak? No, not the leak. <laughs> It has to go through Nebraska as well, right? So they're, they're thinking of expanding the, the, the pipeline there. And Nebraska has to decide that. So. I mean, that's just, that's just nuts. You know, regardless of what, what the company says, the, the, the leaks are going to keep coming. And, and, you know, eventually there's going to be more leaks than pipe. I really think that. There's just yeah. no way that they can build it where it's going to be able to to. Uh, fit into the environment and and uh, you know not not cause any damage. No, I totally agree. I mean, who can see this coming too, right? Even though they, they've been saying world class system, yeah, sure, whatever, buddy. Of course, there had to be a leak, and there it is. Another news: the House of Commons, the Standing Committee on Human Rights, has agreed to maintain the repeal of Section Two Ninety Six, which is the blasphemy law in Canada. Right. So it, it did not repeal, however, the section 176, which criminalizes disturbing a religious worship. So what? You, yeah. So if, if you, Wouldn't somebody's just... doing a religious worship and you come in and disturb, oh, apparently whoa. that's a criminal so, so offense. So we have different, I didn't know that. We have different laws. So going in and being a public nuisance in a mall is different than going in and being a public nuisance in a church. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Well, then, who the hell would want to do that? But anyway, that's well, a bit a friend, overkill. A friend of mine did once. Really? <clears throat> he was, yeah, he was a ham radio operator. And he was sitting beside the church. Service was in, and he was talking on his radio, and then he realized the service had stopped. So 
He went and did his call sign again, and he realized he could hear himself over the church PA. Uh, Should have lost the opportunity. This is God. Now, all of you, bow down and kiss your own butt. We should say that our, our good friend Ian Bushfield from BC Humanist has, uh, has been working very hard on yes, the campaign. Yes, uh, and, and been very, very successful. Yes, and he will be on the show very soon, actually, he's, uh, since he's part of the uh, podcast Politicoast. And him and his crew will be coming on the show uh, in December. So. Oh, wonderful! So yeah, so the the BC uh, so the bill uh, the bill is returned to the House to debate for a third reading. Uh, so it'll be complete law very soon here. Good. Did you guys also hear about the Leonardo da Vinci painting of Jeebus that went to auction? Four hundred yes. million dollars plus fees, so four hundred fifty million dollars. No! Was yeah, the price I, I lost. I lost out by by a million. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted it to hang over. You know, during our podcast, so we would have. Yeah, I, I, I bet ten bucks. I just, I couldn't believe I lost by a measly million. It but was, according to all of our research, you were there when it was painted. <laughs> That's why I wanted it back. She painted it. I, she taught Leonardo. No, but I said, hey, Le- Leonard, Leonard, over to, no, no fi- the, a little more pink on that finger. You know, you, you think he'd listen? If I squint my eyes, you kind of look like Mona Lisa a bit. Yeah. No, you kind of do. He was oh. a nice guy, though. I really, I liked him. Yeah, he became a ninja turtle after that. And he could bake cookies, like, and the, very, it's one of the funny little history trivial things, that, but he could bake... Italian uh, wedding cookies like no one else. Leonardo biscottis. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! And uh, of course, I called him Lenny, but you know, for here I just had to be formal. A million, I'll never forgive myself. <laughs> On a sadder note, <laughs> um, there was also another shooting, another uh, another week, another mass shooting in the states. Uh, Kevin Jansen. Uh, oh, well, can't even read my own writing here. Kevin Jansen Neal went on a shooting spree after killing his wife. Uh, four dead, ten injured. Um, what do you say? What, what is there left to say about you know the U.S. and shooting sprees? Well, it's always he slipped through the cracks. Yeah, it's always that. every single. Well, not every single one. I, I don't want to be you know generalize and into you know making this nonsense but most of the time <clears throat> to the NRA and all of the republicans and everybody else that that wants you know guns all over the place it's always well it's not the guns it's he slipped through the cracks and the crack has to be wider at this <laughs> point than, you know than the grand canyon because <laughs> it, for some reason the system absolutely is is broken it's always been broken and people who uh, want to buy a gun in this country can generally buy a oh, gun yeah, and absolutely. it's not like they steal them and they get them you know um it, just you know un- under under totally under the radar they're buying the guns and going and falling through the crack mm-hmm. well you know there's really not much left to say about the, the shooting but you know dutch tv comedy uh, replied to the American gun problem. And, you know, here as a good citizens here at Left of the Valley, we feel that it's an important public message to bring this up to you. So let's listen in to what the Dutch think of all this. Dear fellow Europeans, 
A devastating humanitarian crisis is threatening a small country on the coast of North America, the United States of America. 24,000 injured, 11,000 dead this year alone. Every day, 40 U.S. citizens die because of a terrible epidemic. Nonsensical rifle addiction. <laughs> NRA is a constitutional disorder caused by a dysfunction of the prefrontal Second Amendment in the nonsensical cortex, causing patients to shoot people. It starts with an innocent cult, but soon patients will show signs of shotguns, sniper rifles, and M16s even. Often, patients use silences to hide their condition. People who suffer from NRA have a big impact on their environment. Family, classmates, and random strangers struggle with fatigue, anxiety, and the feeling of getting shot in the face. NRA is highly contagious. Parents often pass it on to their children. This happens automatically or semi-automatically. Scientists can't explain why, but while it's spreading like wildfire throughout the U.S., NRA seems unable to cross the ocean or the Canadian border. Nonsensical rifle addiction is hard to eradicate. People with the most severe form of NRA are often in hard-to-reach places like rural areas or Congress. Americans <laughs> are desperate. Hang on, what's your emergency? I'm wounded. I need thoughts and prayers. I'll send an ambulance, sir. No, I said thoughts and prayers. <laughs> we Europeans can help. Programs have been initiated, like the Nonsensical Rifle Addiction Anonymous, the NRAA. Hi, I'm Mike. I haven't shot anyone in six years and 41 days. <laughs> More help is needed urgently. We cannot turn away, so donate now. Text STOP NRA to Contributors Absolutely brilliant. Yes. Oh wow. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Is there is there a link to that? Is that... <laughs> I can send it to you if you want. Yeah, put that up. Put that up with the video. Yeah. With the, uh... So it's a video. It, it's a video. It's yeah, it's a video. Okay. Oh, it's a video if it? there's a link to that, put it because people are going to go nuts. They're going to watch. We'll it. put it in the notes of the yeah. show. We'll put yeah, it in the notes. Excellent, my dear Nancy. That's wild. The floor wow. is all yours. What are you doing for us today? Um, nothing. I'm just going to oh. say. <laughs> oh, that's different. <laughs> I just, no, actually today we're going to do sort of a truncated version of uh, This Day in History. We haven't done that for a little bit. So right. we'll combine from November the 6th through today, which is the 18th. Is it the 18th or 19th? I've lost, I've lost track. It's the 19th. 19th. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll do, we'll do a small, a smaller version of This Day in History, which which, as we all know, is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between November the 6th and the 18th. Um, this is a, um, 
an interesting little little story. We all love mysteries, so this is this is one of those unsolved mystery stories that um, happened November the seventh, eighteen seventy-two. So quite a while ago, um, a ship named the Mary Celeste was an American merchant brigantine that was found adrift and deserted in the Atlantic Ocean. It had left um, on November the 7th and no one heard from it. It was just a total mystery and um, they found it off the Azores um, in Portugal on December the 4th, 1872 and interestingly enough it was found by a Canadian brigantine called the De Gracia. Um, the Mary Celeste was in a disheveled but seaworthy condition under partial sail, no one on board, and the lifeboat was missing. And the last log entry was dated 10 days earlier, and she had left New York City for Genoa, and on discovery, she was still amply provisioned. Uh, her cargo was intact, the captain and crew's personal belongings were undisturbed, and none of those who had been on board, the captain, his wife, their two-year-old daughter, and a crew of seven were ever seen or heard from again. And the uh, Mary Celeste, um, because of those uh, mysterious circumstances, inspired two radio plays in the 30s. And several novels have been published, generally offering natural rather than fantastic explanations. There was one in 1935. Uh, uh, a British film company uh, put one called the mystery of the put one out called the mystery of the, the Mary Celeste. Um, the Phantom Ship for American audiences. And interestingly enough, The Phantom Ship starred Bela Lugosi, but no one ever remembers him. In uh, oh, He was wow. a deranged sailor. He's always a deranged somebody. So in that, he was a deranged Bella Degosi was, was. Isn't he the guy who played Dracula? Dracula. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with the with the wonderful Hungarian accent and um, I don't drink wine. You know? <laughs> that was before Christopher Lee took over the role. Well, that, but way back, Bella Degosi yeah. originally did it. Um, Anyway, that's a mystery, and Bella Lugosi was a mystery himself. Anyway, he was a. This was one of his minor parts before he finally made it uh, in the, in the United States and and went to the the monster movies here. Actually, he didn't. He, the first films he had, he never spoke English, which was interesting. <laughs> anyway, with the Mary Celeste in 1938, they had another short film called The Ship That Died, um, and that had a lot of range of theories uh, uh, to exp- try to explain the abandonment. Um, and then in 1980, an episode of a paranormal normal investigation TV series focused on the mystery. Um, And in 2007, the Smithsonian Channel screened a documentary, The True Story of the Mary Celeste, which investigated a lot of aspects. There was also a a song, a ballad, about the the Mary Celeste. But it's just one of those things. They never found any trace of any people or any belongings or Mm. anything. It's just gone. Very curious indeed. Yeah, it's sort of like a Halloween story. Yeah. Yeah, that could be made into a into a nice Halloween story. 1930. Here's one of my favorite little 
um, clips of, of history um, in, in 1930, and it has to do with patent number U.S. 1781541. And the reason that's really interesting is that Albert Einstein and his partner, Leo Chazard, invented the Einstein refrigerator. Believe it or not. That's cool. That, that's Literally. Very, that's, <laughs> I've that's never heard of cool. this. That's and the, 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 from 1926 to 1933, Einstein and uh, Cesar collaborated on ways to improve home refrigeration, and they were motivated by um, contemporary news reports of a Berlin family who had been killed when a seal on their refrigerator broke and leaked toxic fumes into their home. So he used the experience during his years at the Swiss Patent Office, who knew he had worked at the Patent Office, but he had. And so he applied for valid patents, and they eventually were granted 45 patents, um, and they had three different models, but it wasn't put into commercial production, and most of their patents were brought up by the Swedish company Electrolux. So Einstein and refrigerators and Electrolux makes a good uh, trivia trilogy, doesn't it? In an alternate new universe, there's like the Einstein vacuum cleaner and the Einstein appliance there's an appliance. Yeah, and people would say, you know... That man was so intelligent, I know he could have done more than <laughs> than inventing appliances. Instead of Maytag, it was Einstein. Everything. Einstein, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, November 14th, um, 1889, women reporters all over the world um, owe their jobs and oh they're investigative they're, they've been built on a newspaper reporter Nellie Bly and she was really famous in the 18, 1800s late 1800s her real name <clears throat> excuse me was Elizabeth Cochrane but she used a uh, she used the, the pseudonym um, Nellie Bly she set out from New York to beat the record of Jules Verne's imaginary hero, Phileas Fogg, who traveled around the world in 80 days. And so she made this 24,899-mile journey. She returned 72, late, uh, 72 days later to a really tumultuous welcome in New York. This is 1889, so she was a real hero. But as a writer, she focused uh, her early work on the plight uh, at, at the dispatch, on the plight of working women, and she wrote a series of investigative articles on women who were factory workers, but the editorial uh, uh, ethics, not ethic, but the editorial uh, board at that time of the paper pressured her into the women's pages to cover fashion society and gardening, and she was miserable there, but that was the usual place for women of the day. So she she was so miserable and dissatisfied that she took an initiative and traveled to Mexico to serve as a foreign correspondent. And she's 21 years old. I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, she's not like 35 and, you know, had a lot of experience. Pretty impressive. She, yeah, very impressive. Um, so she's 21 and she spent half a year reporting the lives and customs of the Mexican people. And then she wrote a book called Six Months in Mexico. Um, but when the Mexican authorities learned that she had done this on the sly as an investigative reporter, they threatened to, to, uh, to arrest her 
So she left Mexico, and then also when she got back, left the Pittsburgh Dispatch in 1887 and went to New York City. She's penniless for four months. She did everything that she could, but finally she talked her way into the offices of Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, New York World, and took an undercover assignment for which she agreed, and this is what she's famous for, to investigate reports of brutality and neglect at the Women's Lunatic Asylum, which was located on Blackwell Island. Here she is, 21 years wow. old, and she was a slim, slim girl. She, you know, she was she was vulnerable physically, but certainly not not mentally. But she put herself in harm's way um, in order to to get this story because she thought it was it was an important one to reveal. So she practiced for a night. Uh, uh, a deranged expression so that she would be able to um, to fool people. And then she checked into a boarding house and she refused to go to bed, telling everybody there that she was afraid of them and that everyone looked crazy. And she put on this um, act of really being uh, crazy and a danger to everybody else. So they would call the police and uh, have her arrested and then uh, put into the, uh, the, the lunatic asylum. And so sure enough, the judge concluded she'd been drugged and several doctors examined her. Everybody declared her insane. So she was quite, uh, quite the actress, you know, to get her in there. So now she's committed and she experienced everything firsthand, spoiled food, dirty water, being with the dangerous patients who were tied together with ropes and uh, she uh, was able to report that the patients were made to sit for much of the day on hard benches with scant protection from the cold and rats. I mean, the, 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 the the, the conditions were absolutely deplorable, um, and the nurses were obnoxious and abusive. And so in speaking with her fellow patients, she was convinced that some of them were as sane as she were, but they were just thrown in because they were women, they were hapless, they were helpless, and they didn't have the resources, you know, to, to prove. And many were put there by their husbands who thought they were, you know, uh, too too independent, and so this too was a way uppity. to get back, or, you know, they wanted their money one way or the other. So she was there for 10 days, and um, the asylum released the uh, her articles, and her report was later published in a book called 10 Days in a Madhouse. It caused a sensation, and that's what brought her her fame. And the uh, physicians and staff were embarrassed and tried to explain uh, how she had deceived so many professionals, but a grand jury lost, uh, launched an investigation into the conditions and invited Nellie Bly to assist. And the jury reported, after the, the, uh, the jury report recommended that all of the changes that she had proposed, they called for increased funds for care of the insane and an $850,000 increase in the budget of the Department of Public Charities and Corrections. And they also made sure that future examinations were more thorough so that only the seriously ill went into the asylum. So uh, every now and then she crops up on Facebook when you see that she was as heroic as she is, but such a young girl. And she really made a, made a definite change, you know. In, in Pretty gutsy. Yeah, great. How, how did she get out? She um, she got she got out. Someone from the newspaper came and and I think they they uh, they they finally 
got her out through the through the newspaper. I think she made arrangements for them to to get her out, and, and oh, they did. Wow. Yeah, she didn't escape, but they they got her out. I have to check on that, but that's I think that's how she got out. Um, the last little thing on November the 18th was the Jonestown massacre, mm-hmm. which was was horrible and brought. What year was that? Um, no, uh, I I had advised a number of the people not to go, you know, <laughs> not not to go to what, Guyana was with, that, was with that, Jim Jones. Was that in the eighties or was that the in the seventies? That was this nineteen seventy eight. Ah, that was a nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, they um, nine hundred and thirteen people included nine hundred and nine in Jonestown. Um, a lot of them may may not have gone voluntarily, but um, 913 people drank the the Kool Aid. Don't drink the Kool Aid. I'll drink the Kool Aid. Don't yeah. drink the Kool Aid. And that dear listeners brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and more than occasional bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Well, thank you, Nancy, for another. Interesting bit of information <laughs> on history. Yeah, interesting stories today. Nellie Bly has to be, you know, one of one of the all-time, you know, women mm. heroes. That's of the world. to me. That's heroic. What she did. Yeah, it's it's takes guts. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, it, it would seem that you know pretending to be crazy would be an easy thing, but I think it's actually harder than you think. You know, because you you can play lunatic for like two minutes, but to keep it up. And oh, at the same time, at some point, <laughs> your your real brain turns in and say, "No, okay, I can't do this." And of course, that asylum sounded a lot like what happens here in the studio at Letter. <laughs> <laughs> People tied to chairs and stuff like that. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> so let's do our segment that before we talk to Luke Ferrin, let's do a segment that we all love called "Another Brilliant Moment," brought to you by Religion. Ever hear of that guy called Roy Moore? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, in recent days, Alabama's Republican nominee for US, U.S. Senate, Roy Moore, has been publicly accused by five women of preying on young women and sexually molesting girls as young as 14 when he was district attorney. Despite that, he got a surprising boost this week when his wife, Kayla Moore, posted a letter signed by 50 Christian pastors reaffirming their support for her husband calling him an immovable rock of the culture wars with rare, unconquerable resolve. That sounds great, doesn't it? There's just one problem with that. That letter was a fraud. I know, and it's not getting... I'm glad you brought that up because it really hasn't been getting the publicity that it well deserves. Exactly. At least three of the pastors have called out more saying that they never gave permission to the campaign to use their name and are not, in fact, supporting his candidacy. Good stuff. Though the text of the letter implies that it is coming in response to Moore's sex scandal, Pastor Tijuana Adjunti, Adjunji said, I was not asked about this story or allegations. Another pastor, Tad Etikut, added that he was not contacted by Moore or the campaign since the primary and certainly did not give permission for them to put his name in the words of the letter. Everything that's going on... Charlatans, right? I mean, yeah, everything that's going on in Alabama is like a bad satire, you know, that is based on Alabama. I mean, to think that this is actually going on, that this man who was removed from the Supreme Court twice, who has no real affinity 
you know, for the for the Constitution. I mean, it, it's a God, or you know, everything yeah. everything else is just, whatever horrible things you want to do. It's justified as long as you put God first. And it's like they would rather the people of Alabama would actually want to elect a pedophile rather than a Democrat. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's The governor came out and said exactly that. That's he would right. rather have the, the guy in there than a Democrat. And that, that's, yeah. that's absolutely amazing. But I also heard that apparently the Republicans, latest news, the Republicans, the GOP decided to pull their support. They pulled the report, but the, but the Alabama uh, Republican Party yeah. is still behind him. But there is a ray of hope in that at this point... The Democrat who is running against him is on paper ahead by 10 points. But the, the problem is that a lot of people just won't vote um, because they don't yeah. want to vote for Democrats, so they won't vote for him either. So the, the, the actual tally is probably going to be skewed, but we'll see what happens. You also knew that the real life could be could be stranger than the movies that we always <laughs> it always is it always is I think back to the movies that I enjoyed as a kid you know like Tank and uh, we're really or um, what was that other one uh, Turk 182 and it's always about bad politicians and and it's stuff that you would never ever think could ever really happen in real life because well it just couldn't be that crazy Exhibit A Roy and, <laughs> and now here we are here we are with like I mean, having lived in Texas for many, many years, I understand the mentality (laughs) of Alabama. But Alabama is just so much it's unbelievable, the support that that this man has. I need a banjo sound effect How do you get, yeah, you need the banjos. (laughs) How do you get that much support as a pedophile? He should be bleeding support right now. It should all be leaving him. Yeah, the partisan yeah. politics has gone to another another no, step in this th- days. Right? That's it's, the that's the it's evan- Republican or nothing. That's the evangelical power yeah. in in uh, states like Alabama. I mean, right now, Roy Moore could probably be replaced by a goat, and people would vote for the goat. They would. Yeah, they totally would. Well, they used to call that when the Democrats. They used to call that yellow dog Democrats, and people would vote for a yellow <laughs> dog rather than vote for a Republican. So you know, both sides are are wow. guilty of that kind of extremism. But at this point. Uh, uh, especially with so many women now being able to come forward um, with with their stories because of uh, Roger Ailes and C.K. Lewis and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's a something is a watershed. So um, I think maybe the power of that may work in the Democratic in the Democratic Party favor in Alabama. Who we'll, knows? We'll see soon enough. Yeah. And here's another story. Another pastor, Robert J. Bob. Bob Coy, founder of Florida's biggest megachurch, is accused of molesting a four-year-old girl. Uh, what For, church is he from? What? The Florida's biggest megachurch. Oh, okay. a it's, four-year-old. It's a, yeah. Four-year-old. The founder and former past, senior pastor of Cavalry Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, sexually abused at least one girl for over a decade, starting with, uh, with the victim when she was four years old. Well, she was so sexy and came on to well, him. Yeah, I you know, know I, I mean, know. he's got an excuse. Where have we heard that one before? <laughs> In Islam? <laughs> Wasn't that? No, there was a three-year-old. Where they, the, the guy actually used that as a defense. Yeah. And, well, she came on to me, and the yes. judge agreed with him. That's the that's thing. Right. It's become she was sexually so, aggressive. It's that's become right. so common now. It's like we're yeah, it was last. Was it last? It was last year, wasn't no, it? No, no, it was a few years back. It was a few that years back. Yeah, the girl was three years old, and the guy used no, that I defense. That. 
And and the judge agreed with him and said, yeah, yeah the girl was sexually aggressive. Yeah. What? I mean, what's what's a forty-year-old man to do when a three-year-old comes on to him? <laughs> the victim told police that Pastor Coy sexually abused her for years. According to reports, Pastor Coy forced the girls to perform oral sex, would regularly finger and fondle her genitals, and would irregularly engage the child in dirty talk. Uh. So he resigned from his position at the church in 2014 before the sexual abuse was reported, and after confessing to a moral failing in his life. Oh, I guess Jeebus makes it okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, once you once you confess, then it then it wipes the slate clean. Yeah, we can add, we can add I child rape now to his moral guy. failings. Yeah, now he's going to open a daycare center because he's so good now. Uh, uh, Jeebus says it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, his attorneys, and meanwhile, have persuaded a judge with deep Republican ties to seal the ex-divorce, uh, the, the ex-pastor's divorce file, to protect Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, from scrutiny. What? Because, of course, all this led to his divorce, obviously, as well. So, it's, it's Go, Republicans, ugly. go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's finish with something a bit more lighthearted. Please. So, there's a UK-based bakery that called Greg's that has to issue an interesting apology after conservative Christians threatened to boycott the establishment for replacing baby Jesus in the nativity scene with a sausage roll in, a, in an advertisement <laughs> using the nativity scene. The controversial ad figures a three magi surrounded a sausage roll, which has a bite taken out of it. <laughs> the delicious nativity scene was meant to promote the company's advent calendar. <laughs> but many believers call the image anti-Christian and call for people to boycott Greg's, while some implied <laughs> the company's management would be killed if they joked about Islam in a similar way. Oh my, oh yeah. My God is a peaceful God. Let me kill you. So <laughs> others, however, saw the humor in the ad. Twitter users span the spectrum, with some using the opportunity to make a joke about how a Greg saucer roll, it does taste like it was entombed for a cave for three days. <laughs> and others saying the ad campaign made him think more highly of the company. <laughs> It does, it does so seem so like it's been a blessing in disguise. <laughs> Ooh. Bless the sausage roll. <laughs> it doesn't seem like many people were truly offended, though. Most seem to exhibit a sort of faux outrage that was then directed at Islam. Still, Greg's apologized for offending people in a statement, according to The Telegraph. Quote, We're really sorry to have caused any offense. It was never our intention. Yeah, I don't mind an apology, especially those whose feelings are of, uh, are unnecessarily hurt. But the advertisement itself was hardly anti-Christian. <laughs> the entire purpose of the image was to promote a calendar which provides gift cards and vouchers for big goods uh, each day lending up to Christmas. Uh, why would they inter uh, intentionally alienate their exact target audience? That would make no sense, right? And another image in the uh, was also promoting Advent calendar said Merry Gregmas and included a picture of a pastry in a Santa Claus packaging. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if, it you're looking, if, if you're looking for a really quirky, controversial advertising agency, those are the guys to I, go to. I think we should change the uh, the American dollar monetary. Yeah. It says in God we trust. In sausage roll we trust. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what? Think about it this way. If the, the Catholic Church has been bleeding people all over the place, so if they replace that little wafer cracker with a sausage roll when oh, they do communion, wicked. bam! 
Yeah. You bring these people Everybody back. Everybody would want to be a Catholic. You gotta, you gotta do breakfast right there. Yeah. With mustard option. A bit of mustard, you know, a little bit of mustard. wine on the side. You get a whole meal. Yeah. Get the good stuff. Somebody get Pope on the line there. With I think we, need, we I think we need to start a whole new new group, just devoted to the, the, instead of the um, spaghetti. The spaghetti uh, monster. monster <laughs> the yeah, I, this, now we ought to be the the church of the positive po- um, <laughs> positive pastry. The, yeah, positive, <laughs> church of the positive pastry and sausage roll. Kevin, send that <laughs> one into their advertisement agency. Say over here in Canada, we 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 figured it out. The positive pastry, the church of the positive pastry. Yeah. <laughs> credit credit Nancy with it. We figured it out. Yeah. You can offer a whole variety of things. Yeah, it could and, be gluten free. Right. And mustard we believe. Mustard we trust. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much guys for this. So <laughs> let's go to commercial and when we come back we'll be talking to Luke Feverin. So stay with us. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. People like Ray Comfort are fond of saying, what use is half a wing, right? Have you ever seen a f***ing penguin? <laughs> Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? Here's an excerpt from Powerless No Longer by Peter W. Soderman. One night in late August 1990. I was sitting in my living room, continuing a normal evening of drinking, after the mosquitoes drove me inside. I was making up stories in my head about adventures that would never happen, when my 15-year-old daughter appeared out of nowhere. She stood 10 feet in front of me, fiddling with a piece of paper in her hand. Dad, she said with a tremor in her voice, what did you think of the poem I read for you on the deck? You said you wanted to think about it for a while. What poem? I couldn't remember even seeing her earlier, let alone any poem. Thrusting the paper towards me, she said, This poem, Dad, I've been working on it for days. I looked towards the floor and muttered something, hoping it was appropriate. I can't remember what I said. When our eyes met, I watched her expression change from hurt to anger, then from anger to disgust. I saw myself reflected in her eyes as we both realized at the same instant that I was a complete fraud. She crumpled the paper into a ball and tossed it onto the rug. Her hair swirled as she spun on her heel and ran from the room. I forgot the poem, but I still remember her sobs. I looked around the room as if seeing it for the first time and realized this was coming to an end and damn soon. We were living off sales from two years ago and the pipeline was empty. I was a liar, a cheat, and a phony, and one of the few around me who didn't realize it. If the world would stop, I thought, I could get myself together and begin to make things right. I tried hard not to drink anymore that evening, but the glass magically continued to fill itself. When the pendulum clock on the wall bonged 1 a.m., I stumbled up the stairs, undressed, and fell into bed. As the room began to spin, I felt absolute panic. I knew I couldn't face life without alcohol to kill the pain. Yet, I knew I would die if I continued to drink. Palace no longer 
Reprogramming Your Addictive Behavior by Peter W. Soderman is now available at atheistaudiobooks.com. It was this point of mystery, and in gets invoked God. This, over time, has been described by philosophers as the God of the gaps. If that's where you're going to put your God in this world, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. All right, so joining us online from the Edmonton region is Luke Ferrin. He's an activist, and he's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Luke, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Happy to be with you guys. <laughs> Luke, today we're talking about uh, religion getting implicated in the school system, especially in Alberta and BC. Uh, but before we do, we get into that, maybe you should give us a reader digest version of who you are and how you came to be involved in this fight. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have uh, I have three children in the public school system here in Alberta. Uh, the eldest of which is thirteen. So when we when we were looking for a school um, for that particular young lady, my wife and I, neither of which are particularly religious. Uh, we're looking for a for a secular school, uh, and so here uh, we're in uh, a place called St Albert, which is just northwest of uh, Edmonton. Um, so when we were looking for a school, uh, we noticed that there are essentially two state-run school systems. One was public, and the other one was Catholic, uh, which is of course a completely bonkers way to run a school system. But that's a uh, a conversation for a little bit later. Um, and so the, the Catholic school system obviously made no sense for us, although at the time um, the Catholic school system was the public school system here, and then the alternative school system was the Protestant school system. Uh, and it, the, the Protestant school system at the time was really more secular, but at the same time there was a third public school system on the outskirts of town that had what I describe as the Goldilocks school. Uh, it wasn't too big, it wasn't too small, it was everything about it was just right. So um, my wife and I uh, chose this school. Uh, we went there, kind of checked it out, made sure there was no religious overtones, nothing uh, uh, nothing obvious jumping out. Uh, so all good. So we signed up our child for pre-K. Uh, we did pre-K for a year. And then up to uh, kindergarten, we did kindergarten for a year. And then... Um, uh, my daughter went into grade one, and I remember my wife coming home on the first day of grade one after dropping her off, going, you're not going to believe this. Um, but uh, what they do is in the, the public school, uh, first thing in the morning is everybody stops, and through all the speakers throughout all the school, they play the Lord's Prayer. Oh. And every child stops and observes or recites wow. the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, and it's funny if you if you did this in another country in another culture, you'd say that this was scary religious theocracy. Absolutely. Um, but we do it here, and you know it's kind of normal, and or it's kind of nice, or you know it doesn't hurt anyone, or so. Uh, my wife and I struggled uh, with with this for a little while, and. 
you know, you, you got to know, even in Canada, if you speak up against religion, especially Christian privilege, um, there's a chance it's going to come back and bite you on the butt. So we, we, we did. We wrestled with this for several months. Now, I am chronically late for everything I do in my life. Uh, and so most mornings I would be running into school when I got a chance to take my daughter to school and we'd be late. So we'd only be in the corridor when the Lord's Prayer would come on. And I don't know whether you guys are familiar with the old Stepford Wives movies, movie rather than the, the, the more recent one. But it always, always reminded me of the Stepford movie where it was just, it was just creepy. Everybody just stood there and zoned out and their eyes kind of went empty and, uh, you know, Zombieland. we did the prayer. <laughs> no, no, but the, the thing is, now there were times when we were late where we would keep walking, but you, you can't do that um, because then the empty eyes turn into very starey starey eyes and then you realize very quickly that everyone has to stop when this is going on so this went on for a little while and for reasons that i won't bore you with today i finally tipped uh, my daughter actually said something to me that suggested that she'd begun to believe in god and she wanted to demonstrate to me that this was true um so we went to the principal of the school and we said uh we uh, you need to stop making our child pray this is uh, this is not going to work and he said, uh, no. <laughs> he said, ah, you know what, I think there's a thing, there's a Canadian charter or something. At this point, I was not the legal eagle that I am today. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was sure I'd heard of a charter. I was pretty sure that making kids pray in a public school uh, was probably the wrong side of it. And um, and they refused. They said, no, it's going to be really difficult. We've got this PA system. It plays the uh, prayer over all the speakers. We, we don't have separate zones. There's no way of accommodating you. So, no, uh, your ah. child's going to carry on doing the prayer. Wow. Yeah. Scary. And what's uh, even more disturbing about all this is, is uh, this is not like in the United States. They, they have religious school, but they're usually uh, separate from government funding. Here, here in Canada, in Alberta and BC, uh, we still get give funding, taxpayer money, to these schools. This is um, this is actually a, so. This is a fully funded public um, state school uh, part. Um, you know, apart from the prayer thing, um, but and it does have the Logos program in it as well, which is uh, something else we can talk about later. Anyway, to to to, to spin through this. Um, we finally said, uh, no, you know what, this is not okay. Uh, you need to do something about it. We found out there, there had been families before us that had complained, and they told them no way. Um, and so we pushed back, and it was incredible. I mean, I remember the, the first parents' evening we went to, there were over 50 people there, given given uh, that this was a 600-student school. Wow. And I was yelled at. I was called names. I was. I had an introduction to to this issue that was such an eye-opener. Um, anyway, we ended up fighting this through a period of months, and uh, the net result was they now segregate the children every morning. This is, uh, this is half a dozen years ago now. Uh, but they segregate every morning, this public school now segregates its children into Christian prayers and non-prayers. Um, and they all go off to different rooms and they pray or they don't pray. And then they all go off to their homerooms, which are obviously combined. And they do this every single morning because apparently this was a sensible 
solution to the problem. Now, oh, I should wow. uh, I should also note um, that there is um, there is legal precedent uh, to this being wrong. Um, one of which was a ruling in BC. So. Um, it all started in 1989. Uh, there's a court case in the uh, Ontario Court of Appeal, Sudbury Board of Education and uh, Zalberberg, uh, where the court ruled that uh, segregating children, this whole thing where we used to put, you know, we used to put the JWs or the Mormons out in the uh, corridor and they could just saw the Jews. They could just stand there on their own while all the good Christian kids uh, said the prayer in the classroom, and then they could come back in and join them. Um, so uh, 1989 in Ontario, Zalberberg challenged this, and the court understandably ruled that uh, segregating children so that the majority faith could do prayer denied all the non-Christian children their charter rights on three different counts, which was, uh, one, it was coercive, because clearly who'd want to go stand out on the corridor on their own, um, uh, two, that it stigmatized uh, the children, obviously. And thirdly, uh, that it actually forced families to self-identify their religious beliefs in a public school. Um, so Zalberberg rule, uh, ruled that in 1988 or 89. A year later in B.C., uh, Rousseau versus Supreme Court um, uh, sorry, Rousseau versus R in the BC Supreme Court uh, just adopted the Zalberberg ruling in its entirety. Uh, and, you know, when that happens, you know that you've got a strong precedent. And across Canada, the print, this, this process of doing the Lord's Prayer in schools to start the school day um, ended, except for Alberta and Saskatchewan, because we have in our Constitution... Um, a little quirk that says uh, you can uh, a board may direct a um, a school to open with the recitation of the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Now, legally, um, because of the legal responsibility that a board has to not voluntarily choose to do things that deny people their rights, they're still legally not supposed to be doing it. But it's enough that it's there that it's in the Constitution. Those that want it, and I, I don't want to tar all Christians with this, but not, not even most of them. But, of course, there's the thin end of the wedge that are noisy and vocal, and there's a thing in the Constitution, and they, God damn it, are going to, they're going to demand their rights, and how dare you, as the company, as the country crumbles as we take God out of school. Uh, I, I, I got to make you specify here, Luke. When you say the Constitution, you're talking about the, uh, the, the Canadian Constitution or a provincial Constitution? Um, well, now, this is where you have to get the legal eagles out to argue because they will argue that it's actually um, one, the other, or both. So um, when, uh, when uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan came into Confederation in 1905, they have separate but identical pieces of legislation. So uh, the Alberta Act, uh, in Section 17 of the Alberta Act, it rolls in something called uh, the Northwest Territory School Ordinance of 1901, maybe 1902. And in that is the is this uh, directive for the Lord's Prayer or the option for the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Alberta Act is technically part of the Canadian Constitution, uh, but because this issue uh, only impacts Alberta, uh, anything that we did about this would only involve 
Alberta. Um, we'll talk later about um, disestablishing the separate Catholic school system. And again, then, it, um, everything that needs to happen will happen within Alberta. Uh, it does go off to the feds for a rubber stamp, but everything important happens just in that province because it just impacts that province. So the uh, so the, the the bottom line is we went through this as a family, but here's what happened when we started saying, "Hey, can you? Uh, we'd like our child's uh, charter rights observed, um, and not be forced to pray and all this kind of stuff." Here's what happened: we started getting ostracized, uh, we started getting bullied. Uh, my wife, who is one of the strongest women I know, I found in our minivan crying in our driveway one um, one Thanksgiving day uh, because she'd been bullied by a bunch of women who told her that she wasn't supposed to be at the Thanksgiving celebration because we weren't Christian. Um, my kids stopped getting invited to birthday parties. Um, and ultimately, uh, we were run out of that school community for speaking up and for saying that we wanted our child's charter rights observed. And that's um, you know, so the question, how did this all start? That's that's how it started or why it started. But what then happened was it opened my eyes to how much religious privilege, inappropriate religious religious privilege was going on throughout the education system in Alberta. But not just that, the price that people were having to pay uh, when they spoke up about it. Uh, simultaneous to my Lord's Prayer issue, we had another issue in a town just up the road called Morinville, where we had uh, four schools, all publicly funded schools, all public schools, but they were Catholic schools. And so a small number of families had asked for this secular education, which the, the Catholic school by law had to give them, uh, but they refused. And again, these brave families spoke up and took an absolute shit-kicking in their local community. They, they took a beating, you know, when they would go shopping, they would run the gamut of stink-eye and names and being avoided and not being spoken to and all this kind of stuff, all because they're just saying, hey, we want a non-religious education. Well, what happened there six years ago is, and, and I quote, it's just a handful of troublemakers, or it's half a dozen troublemakers is what these guys were called. So we finally got a secular, proper public school in Morinville. There's 900 kids in that school now, like five years later. So there's, uh, there's your half a dozen troublemakers for you. But of the dozen families that spoke up, of the dozen families that won civil liberty awards for this fight, that won education awards for this fight, that were legally right, that were ethically right, half of those families left Morinville because of the treatment that they got for speaking up over inappropriate religious privilege um, or the denial of their rights in, in a state-run, publicly funded education system. And it really is completely bonkers that in 2017, we're even having this conversation. Yeah. I, I, I was saying, I, I'm sorry, this is outrageous. This is something uh, you would expect to actually hear from in the United States, not necessarily here in Canada. So, Luke, what kept you going? I mean, you're obviously a very strong family and you believed 100% in what you were doing. But in face of all of that negativity, how did you keep going? Um, it's, uh, well, it's been tough, to be honest. There were times when it was very dark and very lonely. Um, and there were times when, you know, my, when my, my wife would say to me, are you sure? 
are you sure we're doing the right thing here? Or would actually say, you know, maybe it's time that you shut up um, because uh, because it comes at a cost to your kids. My kids paid a price. You know, my kids my shouldn't have to pay a price. I, it's bad enough that my wife paid a price or even that I have to pay a price. Um, but once we paid the price, you know, that price had kind of been paid and you go, so I might as well carry on to stop other people from having to pay it. Uh, at the same time, uh, the, the Morinville families that I was talking about uh, were going through what they were going through. And so fortunately, they gave me kind of like a ready-made support group that I could connect with. Um, and in fact, they, they've been friends now ever since. And we went on to, to form the group um, a pupil, which is A-P-U-P-I-L, you can find on Facebook. Um, so this temporary name was given to our group about six or seven years ago when we formed it, and we've never changed it. But it's Alberton Parents for Unbiased Public Inclusive Learning, should anyone want to find us on Facebook. Um, but uh, the funny thing is, it also uh, drove me into the glorious and welcoming arms of the Society of Edmonton Atheists, because I'd never, be, I'd never been right an activist atheist before, um, and I needed to find a group that I could speak to that would understand me, that would, and so, so I did. This this issue um, had me join the Society of Edmonton Atheists six or seven years ago, uh, and I am now happily and proudly a, a board member. And, um, fantastic. you know, yeah, abs absolutely. Really fantastic group. Absolutely great group. If uh, anyone's listening and they either want, um, you know, to be engaged in cross provincial outreach or national outreach, then we have a fantastic presence, fantastic group. Reach out for us. Society of Edmonton Atheists. Which is fantastic. How did the, how did the kids survive? What type of support did did they have? Since uh, that that can be, I, as you were saying before, I that, that the, the, the price to pay you can bear. But how did they how did they come through it? Um, well, the, unfortunately, there wasn't really a, a a group or support group for them. The, the 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 harsh and blunt truth is that ultimately they toughed it out. We we changed schools, so they they had to go through changing schools. Well, you know, big thing, no big thing. You know, lots of kids go through changing schools, but I can tell you, one of my one of my three kids, or one of my the eldest two that this impacted, um, even. Uh, perhaps even three years ago, two years ago. Uh, so even four or five years later, we would have tears about having to have moved schools. Um, so, Ouch. you know, the impact, the personal impact was, was far, was far reaching, you know, that feeling of getting driven out and the fact that we're friends with, you know, many of the families there. Um, and the kids are, you know, well, why aren't we in the same school as those people that we're friends with? And so the, the answer is my, my kids, my kids tough today, you know, that's. 
and and so at this point they they don't have any repercussions there's nothing that uh, any of the, the teachers uh, I mean we have heard um, uh, you know horror stories about you know kids who have had their grades lowered and have had uh, you know the, the teachers not respect their work and so forth because because of their beliefs but uh, hopefully not, none of that has, has touched your kids. Well, I, I will tell you, I, my issue with this particular school um, was actually an issue with the board for its refusal to accept the, the legal implications, let alone the fair implications, um, and also to a small number of the Christian parents, not even Christian parents, sometimes I think they just want to be careful what I say, but um, uh, some parents who just don't want change or don't want to see... Um, they, they were the issue. The, the school itself, for the most part, and every single teacher, absolutely fantastic. No issues there whatsoever. And, you know, we've, we've moved on, and we've moved on with other great schools and friends and teachers. And so I don't think that there's been any, um, any long-term ramifications. Now, that said, um, you know, I am, I am now known for this as being this person that... Um, in particular, is looking to disestablish the separate school system. And sometimes that does get framed as being a Catholic hater or being anti-religion or trying to get God out of schools. And I have been surprised, um, absolutely blindsided, in fact, by people not only knowing who I was, um, but actually uh, hating me. Uh, because of what it was that they thought that I represented. And I had absolutely no clue. These were people in my uh, community that I knew, and I was completely unaware that they had a problem. So I have no way, I have no way of knowing whether um, my children do pay a price socially that we don't know about, um, but, but I, don't, I don't think so. Let's hope not. What about any, uh, was there any response from uh, politicians? Were there any politicians that came to your defense or that fought against you guys? Um, no, politicians, it's, it's funny. We had, the education minister at the time was a, uh, a, a guy called uh, Thomas Lukasik, um, who is, a, is an interesting, uh, interesting character. Um, you kind of you you kind of love him or hate him or both um because he's um uh he's he's quite blunt uh but i admire admire that a lot so i mean he was uh, he was honest with me in that you know that because there was enough because this section 137 Point one of this chapter 29 of the Northwest Territories school ordinance was there, uh, potentially allowing prayer, that really it was going to be a constitutional challenge um, or uh, a human rights complaint that was really going to ultimately drive this, uh, and that he as a politician wasn't going to touch it. So I did appreciate his honest, you know, I... Uh, you know, I, I understand, I sympathize, but listen, it's religion, there's enough there, I would be mad to touch this. And he was honest about that, and I respected that. Um, I will give him a little tip of the hat in that um, the Morinville issue that was going on up the road, no one wanted to touch that school issue, and he did roll up his sleeves and uh, uh, and do something there. So, um, 
as a when it started, um, the politicians run a mile. I mean, politicians do not want to touch any issues of religion, and they run a mile, and they suddenly become very agnostic um, about uh, things, and not agnostic in the way that we might use that word. Um, so, uh, no, the politicians here have been in very smartly because I understand why, but very notably absent from any sensible conversations about these topics. Wow. That makes it's, sense. Yeah, it, do, it does. I mean, I can understand why they, they don't want to approach this too much, but I would think at least somebody would have a bit of a backbone and, you know, take mm. on the fight a bit more than just paying lip service to it. I'm kind of shocked by that. So do you... So I... Um, uh, what I'll do is maybe close the circle on the, the Lord's Prayer conversation. Sure, here. sure, of course. Um, so, so we formed a pupil as a as a as kind of a safe space for for people to come who are having challenges with religion and secular issues in our in our school system. Uh, and then what we discovered was that there was at least half a dozen other instances where this was going on. And I'm happy to tell you, over the last few years, that we've actually had um, we've worked with plaintiffs and parents um, to lobby, and we've removed uh, prayer from probably half a dozen school districts now. Um, and uh, there are very few left, notwithstanding. Uh, religious public schools and religious public schools are sli a slightly different kettle of fish. You know, at the end of the day, if you signed up for a religious public school, then I think it reasonable that you expect religion. And then we'll have a different conversation about whether we should be funding religious public schools at all. Um, but if you if you signed up for that, then then so be it. So that's the um, that's the prayer issue. Um, for for listeners, they should also be aware this does also. Um, carry on in Saskatchewan as well and um, there's an absolutely wonderful lady in Saskatchewan called Dusty and I'm going to murder her uh, her last name but I think Dusty Hennifant or something like that sorry Dusty um, <laughs> who has been uh, fighting this fight in Saskatchewan and uh, anyone in Saskatchewan should look out for Dusty too wow fantastic well Luke thank you so much for explaining all this situation to us uh, if people want to find out more about uh, you and the uh, Edmonton Atheist where can they find you? Uh, well uh, we have a really great Facebook group so that's Society of Edmonton Atheists and um, we also have uh, you can find us online at um, let's see edmontonatheist.ca uh, also on Twitter at edmontonatheist.ca Fantastic. Well, it's you know I really we have a um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right right. There's enormous respect for you and standing up for what was right and standing up for the principle, even no the, the principle of the subject, knowing that you would be subjected to um, some of the ostracizing of you know from your, your neighbors and so forth so congratulations that's great that you stood strong and uh, you know maintained that it's a good lesson for your for your kids to realize that when you're right you need the backbone to stand up and make life better for others even though it, it puts you in a in a turmoil for a while so thank you for everything you did and for what you've accomplished and uh, good luck you know for 
for for going through with with this as 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 much as you have and good luck in the future for for anything else that you can accomplish yeah exactly oh. i uh, i appreciate those kind words um there's uh, there's a lot of good people around um you know, if I, I would say this, if you're thinking about being an activist in your community, uh, make sure that you have the support of your partner. Um, make sure you, that you um, you have family or friends that that will back you because it can become uh, far nastier and lonelier than you than you realise very very quickly, uh, and you, it's not something that you want to do on your own. Uh, I will also throw this out. Uh, because I piffled on about the Lord's Prayer so much, <laughs> we actually ne- we never even spoke about what is really the elephant in the room here in Alberta. So maybe we'll save this for another day. But the Catholic school system uh, and the movement to get rid of the Catholic separate school system here um, is uh, is an even bigger conversation. For those that want to follow that, uh, ex-education minister David King here in Alberta has a great movement called Our Idea. So that's O-U-R-I-D-E-A, ouridea.ca. And also, again, are a pupil group very active in that. Uh, that's A-P-U-P-I-L on Facebook. And uh, just thank you so much for your time and for your interest. Oh, thank you for everything that you've done. You're you're our hero for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Lou, yeah, before I let you go, can I have you say, "Hi, I'm Luke Fevin, and I took a left at the valley." Hi, I'm Luke Fevin, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Luke Fevin. My God, that's loud. It ain't easy being an activist. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like they went through a really rough time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he needs to. We need to have him back on so he can continue with the the whole discussion about the Alberta separation between the secular and and Catholic school systems. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we need to totally bring him on, and uh, uh, we'll talk about the Catholic school system. And because God knows, we could be talking about the subject for a long, long time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, children should not have to go through that. Yeah. Exactly. No. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining me on the show today. Uh, thank you so much, Simona, for being with us. <laughs> She's there sitting quietly. She's like, what did I just Good walk times, into? everybody. Good times. Good time. Uh, you can follow us at leftofthevalley.com. You can follow us at, at LATV Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. Send us an email at uh, leftatvalleyatoutlook.com. Coming up. Next week, we'll be talking to Nate Phelps, the son. Is it next week already? Next week, Whoa. talking to the, the son of Fred Phelps, yeah. the late Fred Phelps, who was, of course, the Westboro Baptist Church. And then December comes around, and in December, we'll be talking to the boys, like I said earlier on during the show, in Bushfield, and the boys at Politicoast, which is a podcast that's dedicated to BC politics. That should be interesting to talk about. Wow. And, of course, on the 16th, we'll be talking to Thomas Smith of Serious Inquiries Only. Christina and Kirsten are not there to swoon over this, but trust me, yeah. it'll be worth something. And then, of course, we have a Christmas special and our best of... 2017. Wow, time is flying. And of course, in January, of course, we'll have our friend David Fitzgerald as well as Michael Schirmer coming back to talk about their respective books. Since since Christine is going to listen to this anyway, Harry Potter. (laughs) No, that's right. No, she's not here. No Harry Potter. No Harry Potter. (laughs) Potter. When she listens to it, though, she'll be squirming. (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you so much, guys. Anything else we need to add to this? Listen to Harry Potter? No, no. Don't listen to Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> thank you, guys. Until next time. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.